Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our worship service this morning here at Midway Church of Christ. So glad you're with us this morning. I uh, would like to take this opportunity to uh, welcome our visitors. If you are visiting with us, please know that you're our honored guest. And uh, hang around after services. Let us get to know you. Of course, at a social distance, but uh, we'd, we'd still love to, uh, to get to know you and learn more about you guys. Um, I ask you at this time to, uh, to please silence your electronic devices. Uh, phones, tablets, so we can uh, go through worship uh, uninterrupted. This morning, Ronnie Mullinax will be leading us in singing. Uh, ben Painter will open our services with prayer. Mark Howell will bring us the lesson of the hour. And then Grant Addison will close us out in prayer. So if there's no other uh, announcements this morning, then we'll follow up at the end of services. This time I'll turn it over to Ben. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to assemble this morning with you. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to open up your word and to study it, Father, together. Father, we're just so thankful for your word and for the opportunity that we have to learn from it, to apply it to our lives and to mold our lives around it and to go out and to teach others about your word, Father. Father, we're so thankful for the avenue of prayer that we have to approach your throne and to pray to you and to give you thanks for the things and the blessings in our lives. Father, we're so thankful for the Midway Church here that uh, you would continue to bless us and watch over us as we move forward uh, into this new year and past the things that that are going on right now in our country and, and with the health crisis that's going on, Father. Father, we pray this morning for all those that are struggling in this crisis that you would, all, you would bless them and watch over them. Father, you, you know them all by name, and we just pray that you would be with those that are struggling from the coronavirus and, and those that are tending to them and the doctors and the nurses and all those that are working hard and diligently to, to bring some normalcy back to us, Father. Father, we're so, we pray that you would watch over those that are, have lost loved ones, that you would comfort them in the only way that you can, Father, and help them to look to you for strength and guidance and help us to also be of some encouragement to them and some comfort to them as well. Father, we're thankful most of all this morning for your son Jesus Christ that you sent on this earth to die a horrible, horrible death for each and every one of us that we might have that hope of eternity with you one day in heaven. Father, we just pray that we never take that for granted and that we would always strive to be a shining light for you in everything that we do. Father, we pray this morning as we go into our service that we would worship in a way that's according with your will and pleasing unto you. We pray that you would watch over that this morning and it's your son's name. Amen. Stand if you'd like on this song. I am mine, O Lord, and I've heard
so thankful that you're able to be here. It's a bright, sunshiny day outside. We're thankful for that. After the dreary weather we had this past week, thankful that we didn't get as much as some of the other folks got, and we continue to remember them in prayer as they continue to uh, get back to normal, trying to get power back on and water back on and all of those kinds of things. Let's go ahead and begin our lesson this morning. I want to present a few things to you, and I want you to think about what they have in common. There are about five things, I guess, that I've put down. And I want you to think about as we go through them, what is the common denominator? What is it that they have in common? The first one is a young man and his mother standing before a judge. And the mother is begging the judge. And she said, Your Honor, Johnny is not uh, really responsible for all the things, all of this mess, all that's going on. It's those thugs that he's been hanging around with. They're really the ones who are causing all the problems. Here's number two. There's another mother. She said to her teacher, it's not Vicky's fault that she's failing. It's because you're just not a real good teacher. You're, it's, you're the one who is to blame. Number three. Here's a man who is going on, going on a rant because he hasn't gotten a promotion and a raise. And he says, my boss is the one who's holding me back just because he doesn't like me. And then here's another. There's a church member who has stopped attending. And when the elders go to see him or her, and they talk and they, uh, they begin to have a discussion. And here is what is said. Everybody at that church is just a bunch of unfriendly snobs. And then here's another one. There are people who are talking about in a group the problems that they're having in their life, and many of them have come to the conclusion it's the government's fault. The politicians are the ones who are to blame. And so as you look at these five things, what are some of the things that we need to know? Well, let me first make some acknowledgments. Number one, I do understand that the people that we hang around with 
They can and they do influence our actions. But we have the, uh, uh, the, the ability and the obligation to choose who we hang around with. Number two, I do know that there are some bad teachers. I've had one or two in, in my life that just were not good teachers. That didn't mean I failed anything, but it didn't mean I learned anything either. You know, one teacher in particular, the only thing I remember about him and his class is that you had to have one of these four colored pens. And certain notes were to be written in one color and certain notes were to be written in another color and tests were to be taken in another color and something else was to be done with the fourth color. Now, that's not a real good education. And so, you know, people sometimes are not good teachers. I had another teacher who was not a real good teacher when he started, first started teaching, and this was in college. And later he and I became not real close, but we became friends. And he acknowledged, you know, that first year or two that I was there, especially the year that I was in his class, he said, I, I didn't do a real good job. And, and so sometimes we have bad teachers. But then not only that, personalities sometimes do play a part in who gets promoted or who gets erased, do they not? That's just a fact that we have to deal with in life. And there are some congregations that are not very friendly. And if that's the case where, where we are, then we need to make sure that we don't be that congregation. And there's always been corrupt, power-hungry politicians. And so we need to make all of these acknowledgments as we think back to the common denominator. But what is the common denominator in those scenarios that I presented to you this morning? What is it that each one is doing? Well, it seems that they are playing the oldest game in the world, and that is simply the blame game. I say it's the oldest game in the world because the first two people on earth, they played the blame game, didn't they not? We'll come back to that briefly in just a moment. But at one time or another, it may be that you and I have played the blame game. It may have been when we were three years old and something went wrong and we blamed our brother or our sister. It was just the other day that uh, I think it was Ezra, one of our youngest grandson, he was, uh, uh, started shouting out or something. They were watching TV and I think Rachel and Brandon got on to him. And all three boys are just sitting there watching TV. And when they got on to Ezra, he said, well, Enoch attacked me. And Enoch just sitting there, he hadn't done anything. But we learned from a very early age about the blame game. And so all of us, probably at one time or another, have participated in it. Our society in general, our society as a whole, has... Uh, come to be known as what we might call a victimism society. In other words, one definition of victimism is a kind of philosophy whereby one chooses to perpetually see oneself as a victim of some sort for the purpose of accruing sympathy and empathy. And so can you see that in our nation? Can you see that in groups within our nation and how... Our nation is really playing that kind of thinking up, especially if you're listening to the news channels or reading on the Internet or things of that nature. You see all of those kinds of things that are being played up. And so as we look at it and as we think about it, 
I want to suggest something to you this morning. I want to suggest to you that if you want your life to be a positive Christian life, you must become totally responsible. If you want to be happy in your life, if you want to have a positive Christian life, have a positive effect on other people who are around you, have an effect that leads people to Christ rather than throwing them or, 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 or turning them away from Christ, then you and I have to become totally responsible people. And I think that's uh, something that we really need to take to heart. I I suggest to you this morning that you have to accept responsibility for your life. But not only do we just think about the good things that happen in our life, we have to take responsibility for our mistakes and for our failures that we uh, all have in our life. And even we have to realize that even if we do try to shift responsibility to others for our own weaknesses, that really doesn't make someone else responsible. It doesn't relieve me of my responsibility. You see, I have to take responsibility for me. Now, I want to ask a question, and I want you to think about it, and I'm going to present some things in regard to it. But why is it that we attempt to shift responsibility away from ourselves? Why do we try to do that? Is there something about our nature? Is there something about our thinking, the way that we're wired, that causes us to do that? Why do we tend to shift responsibility away from ourselves? Number one, let me suggest that we tend to only look at ourselves through our own eyes. We tend to look at ourselves through our own eyes. Now, what does that mean? When I think about looking at myself through my own eyes, what picture do I get of me? What picture do most people get of themselves? Well, look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse number 2. And there the wise man said, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now focus on the first part of that verse. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. Whatever way you're doing something, whatever way you're thinking about something, whatever, what, uh, what, however you're speaking about something, when you do it, when you think it, when you say it, you automatically think what? I am right. My opinion is always right. It's the way that we look at ourselves. And so we t- sh- when, we, when we have something bad, we try to shift that focus away from ourselves. Staying in the book of Proverbs, look at Proverbs chapter 30 at verse number 12. There the wise man again writes and says, There are those, uh, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Just because they look good to themselves does not mean that they're not to blame, that they're not at fault, does not mean that they have been washed of their filth. We may have our hands dirty. Our our whole self may be dirty in whatever situation it may be. But as we look at it, we may think that we're clean But in reality, we are quite filthy ourselves. That's why we have to take a look at ourselves in the proper way. 
But not only that, let me suggest to you that we tend to trust our own heart. We try to shift blame because we look at ourselves through our own eyes, but we also trust our own heart. Now look at this passage in the book of Job chapter 27 at verse number 6. Job said, I hold my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. And I want to admit to you this morning that Job was right. There was a special situation in regard to Job, and a special situation, it seems, that uh, had been taking place behind the scenes between God and Satan. And we know that Job was an upright man. He was a faithful man. And we're told that by inspiration. And we know all of these bad things happened to him. And we know that his friends were blaming him because of what was going on. All of those things we know. But he said, I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me. Now that's that part that I want you to think about. There are sometimes those who are not like Job, who have not upheld their integrity, who are not perfect and upright or faithful in all of their ways, as Job is described to us by God, and yet they themselves, in their own heart, do not allow their heart to reproach them. You know, I I maintain that I have always been right, and I'm always right. It's that heart matter. But what about the heart? Here's the point that I really want us to get. It's found in the book of Jeremiah chapter 17 at verse number 9. Jeremiah writes and says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If our heart is not, uh, if it's not operating from the right realm to begin with, if we haven't judged ourselves not by just what we're looking at or the way that we're thinking, if, if we're not looking at things from God's standpoint, then our heart can deceive us into believing that we are always right, that there is no blame to be found in us. But then number three, we also tend to think that we simply cannot be the problem. It's just, it can't be me. I'm not the one who is doing all of this bad stuff to me even. Again, think about Luke chapter 10 at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, notice those words that we have highlighted, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You remember this is the man who had come to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus has this conversation with him and they talk about the Old Testament things that they were to do, uh, to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so this man said, well, well, just who is my neighbor? You know, is there anybody over here that I don't have to regard highly? Is there anybody over here that I do not have to esteem? Is there anybody out there that I can just write off? Just who is my neighbor? But why did he ask that question? Well, it's in plain English for us here so that we can see it. He desired to justify himself. Those folks that he didn't like, that he didn't want to be his neighbor, uh, say the Samaritans, for example, uh, he could just claim that, hey, 
you know, they're really not my neighbor. He just tried to write them off. But it was desiring to justify himself. Look at the problem of the Jewish leaders that Jesus points out to their face. Look at Luke chapter 16 at verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now our previous point was about the heart that we talked about. But now Jesus says these people have a heart problem and He knew their heart. He knew what was inside it. But even though they had the bad things in the heart, these people still tried to do what? Make themselves look good in front of people. It made, they, they tried to make themselves look like those who were good and right all the time. They tried to justify yourselves, Jesus said, before men. And so these are three reasons why we attempt to shift responsibility away from ourselves. But then what does the Bible have to say about responsibility? What does it have to say? What is it that you and I need to learn? What is it that we need to practice in our life? I said a moment ago we'd come back to Adam and Eve very briefly, and let's do that. Everybody remembers the blame shifting that they engaged in back in the Garden of Eden. As we go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3, look at verses 11 and 12. This is God as He approaches them. He said, And who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, what? Yes, I did it. I'm guilty. No. He said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave fruit of the tree and I ate. Now think about what Adam said. Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, it's the woman. She's the problem. But I think it's worse than that according to what we read, is it not? Adam is even going back beyond Eve. It's the woman that you gave to me. And so Adam is shifting blame all the way back to God. He shifted it to Eve. Don't don't miss that point. But he also sought to shift it farther on. Shifted it to God. And so we have that. The woman that you... She's the one who gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, well, what is this you have done? And what did she do? She said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so she shifts blame to, to, to Satan. She shifts blame to, to the serpent. Now, all of us understand that point, don't we? But now here is what we need to realize. In all of this blame shifting, we need to remember that it didn't work. God pronounced punishment on all who were involved. He pronounced punishment on all of them. Okay? Let's quickly go through. Look at verse 14, Genesis 3.14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Did the snake, the serpent, did it get some blame? Yes. Did it get some punishment? 
Yes, you are cursed above all livestock. Look at verse 16. To the woman, he said, this is God speaking, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Did she receive some of the blame? Yes. Did she receive punishment? Yes, for her part, even though she tried to shift blame to someone else, to Satan. Look at verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have (coughs) eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not, uh, commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, in the first place, when God was talking to Adam, did Adam try to shift blame? Yes. He tried to shift it to Eve and to God. But just because he tried to shift blame did not mean that he shifted punishment away from himself. And so we see that even though people try to do that, God doesn't view it in that way. When we're talking about what the Bible says about responsibility, what we need to understand is that God holds each one of us responsible for ourselves and what we do. That's what He did from the very beginning. Now here's another passage. Let's look at the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. We'll look at verses 19 and 20. Yet you say, why should not the Son suffer for the iniquity of the Father? When the Son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now a lot of times when we go back to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18 at verse 20, we're trying to talk about how that that children don't inherit sin. And it's valid to go back and to look at what is said in this passage in regard to that. There are whole religious bodies that teach when a baby is born, that baby is a sinner because he inherited the sin from his parents. But that's just not the case, and this is one of the passages that deals with that. But it's not just dealing with babies who are born and children who are born being born in sin, not being born that way. It's a grown man. It's a person who is a child who is of the age and has the mind to to make his own decisions. That child is not responsible for what daddy does. On the other hand, the daddy, in that case, is not responsible for what the child does. And God makes it very, very clear about responsibility here at the end of chapter 18 at verse 20. The soul that sins... It shall die. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. For the one who is righteous, he's responsible for being righteous. For the one who is wicked, he is responsible for being wicked. And so we can't blame shift. We can't put our responsibility for what we do on someone else. God says it just doesn't work that way. Here's another one as we think about it. We're not responsible for what other people do. That's that's just the whole point. Uh, 
You can fill that blank in. We're just not responsible for what other folks do. Each one is responsible for himself. But look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. I realize that many of the passages that we're looking at today are quite familiar to us. Passages that we've talked about in, in times past and probably have heard other teachers and preachers talk about them to a great extent. But as we examine ourselves and our current situation and we try to encourage ourselves, one of the things that we have to do is we have to look at ourselves because we don't want to have a skewed look at ourselves. But look at James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Isn't that what uh, Adam tried to say all the way back in the garden? You gave me the woman. It was your fault. You gave me the woman. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. As you examine this passage, James makes it clear that each person is responsible for his or her own sins. It's not God's fault. Remember, God tempts no one. He can't be tempted himself, and he tempts no one. But then he just jumps right into it. He said, it's because of your own desires. If you're reading from the King James, it may may say that because of your own lusts. All of that works towards sin. You're responsible for yourself. You're lured and enticed by your own desire. I saw a meme that went something like this. Skeptics ask, why God would make humans and then eternally condemn their souls to hell. But God wonders why people don't choose to seek Him and live forever in heaven. But I want you to note that it's still people who do the choosing. We are responsible for that ourselves. And so what does the Bible have to say about responsibility when it comes to sin? Who's responsible? I am. I'm responsible for me. Look at Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now notice, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give account of himself to God. Each one of us will give account of himself to God. When you read that passage, you can't help but understand that when you're standing before God on the day of judgment, who is responsible? You can't help but understand it. If I'm talking to God about me, telling Him why I did certain things, what is the outcome going to be? Knowing that the Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. Knowing that I, in my own heart, 
in my own mind, in my own way of thinking, have been enticed to sin and have allowed myself to go through with those enticements? When I'm standing there on the judgment day, who will God hold responsible? And there's no getting around it. God will hold us responsible for ourselves. Now I want to go rapid fire as we begin to bring this lesson to a close. Let me simply say that you will never be happy until you are willing to take responsibility for yourself. You know why? Because if you're not willing to take responsibility for yourself, that means you're depending on what other people do, on what other people say, on what other people think, on how other people treat you. And if you're allowing them to have that control over you, trying to shift responsibility for everything in your life to somebody else, everybody else is going to be looking at you and they're not going to have necessarily your best interest at heart. And just because of that, if you're thinking that they're the ones who is the cause of the problem, they are a cause of a problem in your life. That doesn't mean they're responsible for what you do, how you live, how you... Here's the part where the rapid fire goes. You're responsible for the way you think. Aren't you? You're responsible for the way you speak. Aren't you? And number three, you're responsible for the way that you act and the way you react. And so as you look at those three things, if you're allowing someone else in your life to hold that power over you and shifting responsibility away from yourself, you're always, always, always going to be hurting. And I'll even add to that. You will become a bitter person because you think everybody is always against you. They're out to get you. And it's their fault. Anything that happens to you, happens. Two questions for you as we close. Are you currently taking responsibility for yourself? I can't answer that question for you. See, you're the only one who can answer that question. Are you currently taking responsibility for yourself? Based on the way that you think, based on the way that you talk, speak, based on the way that you act and react, if you honestly assess those things about yourself, are you currently taking responsibility for yourself? Or are you playing the oldest game in the world? Trying to shift blame to someone else. Question number two. If you honestly look at yourself and you see that you're not currently taking responsibility for yourself, are you willing to start assuming responsibility for yourself today? If you say no to that question, 
You're condemning yourself to a life that's not very positive. To a life that may not be very happy. To a life over which you may feel I have no control. But on the other hand, if you're willing to start assuming responsibility for yourself, your life can change. Does it mean that everything's going to be good? Does it mean that everything, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. It doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we won't do things that are not right. We all sometimes slip up. But if we're not willing to start assuming responsibility for ourselves, there's a great problem. Now the the first step in assuming responsibility for yourself is maybe to make the decision to respond to God in obedient faith. Become a child of His. Have that old sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're buried with Him and raised up to walk with Him in newness of life. Newness of life. It may be that you've become a Christian in the past, but you need to take the step of returning to your allegiance to God rather than your allegiance to to try to blame Satan on down for causing problems in your life. Whatever the case may be, I'm begging you this morning to be sure that you're taking responsibility for you because one day you will stand before God And you will answer to God as the responsible person of your life. And if we've been irresponsible, blame shifters, always allowing others to turn us away from God and away from good and away from what's right, then we won't have an eternity that's very good either. It's only when we begin to take responsibility for ourselves that we begin to take actions, to say things, to react in ways that will be pleasing to God and will cause us to have the invitation to spend an eternity in His house. It may be today that you may need to begin that responsibility journey. If you need to come to the Lord... Have your sins washed away in baptism. If you need to come back to the Lord, whatever your need might be, if you need to do that, do it right now as we stand and sing.
pray together. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to assemble around this table and remember your son's death. We, Father, we pray at this time that we'll remove from our minds this secular world and remember that it is in fact temporal and focus on things that are eternal. That is, that you loved us enough to send your son to willingly die on the cross for forgiveness of his sin. For this emblem which represents his body, which died on the cross for us, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Let us pray. Our fathers, we continue to remember your son's sacrifice. We thank you now for this fruit of the vine, which represents his body, his blood, which was shed on the cross. It's in Christ's name. Amen. That completes the Lord's Supper at this time. For convenience, uh, we will offer a prayer for our giving. Please remember that that you may leave your uh, contribution in the uh, baskets at the back and have online and other methods which you uh, may give back to the church. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for good fortune to be born into such a land of opportunity a land that recognized that certain things were God-given, and then they wrote a document to try to preserve those things. We pray that we will always be able to worship you as we read about in the Bible, and we'll always be grateful for the material gifts we live, we get, we get every day from 
working and producing in a, a country of opportunity. Father, we thank you now for our blessings and we give back that the church work might continue in Christ's name. Amen. Before we uh, go over the announcements, uh, I'd like to have Eddie Bull come up at this time. At this time, we'd like to have a special prayer for Amber. If you would, pray with me, please. Your Heavenly Father, we bow before you, recognizing your omnipotence, your... We know, Lord, that you are omnipotent and that you're with us always. We know that you love and care for your children. We pray now, especially, Lord, for, for Amber as she is on the edge of leaving this world. We we pray that that she can recover. We pray, Lord, that you'll that you'll give her back to us. We know, Lord, that this terrible virus has has revealed how weak our efforts are in medicine. And although we thank you, Lord, for all the great accomplishments that medicine has made, we know that they pale before you. We know you have the power, all power. And we understand, Lord, that that this life is feeble and, it, and that we're here only for a short time. But we pray, Lord, that, that you'll hear our pleads, hear our requests. We know, Lord, that, that it's your decision and we submit to your will. And we pray, Lord, if your answer is no, that you give us that faith, that we won't question your decision. But we also know, Lord, that that you can can overcome anything in this life. We're thankful, Lord, that You are a God 
And we bring these requests for to you, not because we're deserving, not because we're good, but because you are good. And we ask these prayers, Lord, in the name of the one that was perfect, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. Um, just have a, uh, a few additional announcements or, or revisions. I encourage you to pick up a bulletin. Uh, several people that are listed in there that uh, uh, requested prayers, uh, updates on uh, on surgeries and whatnot. Um, Marlene Hyde, who was scheduled to have uh, her stents put in uh, last week, I believe that's going to take place Thursday. And uh, also Brian Wolf, his uh, surg surgery has been rescheduled uh, to Wednesday. Uh, my mother-in-law, Jeanette Delaney, also her, her surgery has been uh, rescheduled as well. Uh, again, we want to thank you for your attendance here today. And uh, if you're a visitor, please stick around. Let us get to know you a little bit better. I uh, encourage you to uh, tune in this evening for our evening Bible study and also uh, Wednesday night, our, uh, our Bible study with, uh, with Mark. Uh, both of those are online, can be found at uh, Facebook or YouTube. If there are no other announcements, uh, Grant, I'd like to ask you to come and dismiss us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come and worship you. I'm thankful for everyone here this morning, everybody that's watching online, and for this church. I'm just thankful for everything that gets done because of it. Pray that you'll again be with those that, are, that have been mentioned as, as sick or as having upcoming surgeries. Just pray that you'll be with them and help the best outcome to come from those. Be with us as we leave this morning. Help us to go out into the world every day and try to bring others closer to you. Help us to always be a light in the world and to help where we can. Pray that you'll please forgive us of our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.